I got a, uh, a phone call one day from a Dhamma teacher who wanted to ask me some questions about the five precepts. And um, it was a it was enjoyable to talk to her about what the Buddha said about the five precepts. And I gathered a few of those quotes of his, even though it comes up often in the suttas. I thought I would share some text with you. These are just going to be four little short suttas or excerpts from suttas. This first one is an excerpt from a discourse in the Middle Length Discourses, number 129. And if you read the whole thing, it's uh, pretty graphic around um, what happens if we're not behaving in wise ways. So I'm just going to skip to the good part. <laughs> I have a feeling you don't need a lot of um, motivation for, for that, but it is nice to reflect on how important it is to keep the five precepts. And here the Buddha talks about a wise person and what it means to be a wise person. And he says, there are three characteristics of a wise person. And they are that a wise person thinks good thoughts, speaks good words, and does good deeds. And the Buddha said, if, if that were not the case, how would, how would the wise know them as a wise person or as a true person is another way he says it true person, when that comes up in the suttas, it usually means that they're a noble disciple. And that's going to that's gonna show up again. It's, uh, it's something the Buddha mentioned often, and a noble disciple is someone who, certainly those who are uh, having some level of awakening, I'm hearing some noise. Let me see. Okay. I think that's probably it. All right. So a, a noble disciple is certainly, it, certainly those who have um, reached some level of awakening, stream entry, etc. But also people who are keeping the, the precepts and practicing to um, realize those um, levels of awakening. And I like what the Buddha says here about a wise person feeling pleasure and joy here and now. And he says that happens in three ways. He said, if a person is sitting in an assembly or you're at some group or meeting or you're sitting along a street or you're sitting in the town square and people are discussing what it says here, certain pertinent and relevant matters, then the wise person who sustains, who, who abstains 
from killing, living beings taking what is not given, from misconduct and sensual pleasures, from false speech, from wine, liquor, and intoxicants, which are the basis for negligence, then that person thinks, well, these people are discussing these matters and those things are not found in me. I'm not seen engaging in them. So, you know, uh, people talking about what's going on and uh, a lot of times that's about people doing doing bad things and the wise person who keeps the precepts doesn't have to worry that they might be think, talking about them. And then if someone is caught here, it says a robber culprit is caught. Um, the wise person sees that they go through all kinds of suffering, um, tortures inflicted on them. This is where it gets graphic earlier in the sutta. We're not going back to that right now, but because of evil actions, when someone is, you know, caught, and even if they're not caught, the Buddha talks about that in other places, they're always worried. Um, there's always some concern that they will get found out. But the wise person can think, yeah, those things are not found in me, and I'm not seen engaging in those things. And this is the second kind of pleasure and joy that the wise person feels here and now. And the last one I think is, is particularly beautiful. When a wise person is sitting on their chair or on their bed or resting on the ground, then the good actions that they did in the past, their good bodily, verbal, and mental conduct cover them, overspread them, and envelop them just as the shadow of a great mountain peak in the evening covers, overspreads, and envelops the earth. So this is, this is the same way that the, the good actions by body, speech, and mind cover the wise person. And then the Buddha says, the wise person thinks, I have not done what is evil. I have not done what is cruel. I've not done what is wicked. I've done what is good and I've done what is wholesome. I've made myself a shelter from anguish. And when I pass away, I shall go to the good, the destination of those who have not done what is evil, etc., who have made themselves a shelter from anguish. They do not sorrow, grieve, and lament. They do not weep, beating their breasts, and become distraught. That's the third kind of pleasure and joy that the wise person feels here and now. A wise person who has given themselves over to good conduct by body, speech, and mind on the dissolution of the body after death reappears in a happy destination, even in heaven. So, you know, this is something that I don't know if you think about these things, but this is something that's good to remind ourselves of, you know, that um, even if we did things that are wrong in the past, if we've changed that, we can really look at our life and our actions and have a sense of fundamental confidence and, and happiness, joy in our own behavior. And if there are things we're doing that are not in line with the precepts, we can decide to change that and change it today. And then over time, 
this um, feeling of safety and lack of anguish grows <coughs> and develops in us. The next sutta is called Fragrance, and I really, really like this one. Um, Nanda comes to the Buddha and says, there are three fragrances that spread with the wind, but not against the wind. The fragrance of roots and heartwood and flowers. Is there, a, they spread, they spread uh, with the wind, not against the wind. Is there a fragrance that spreads with the wind, against the wind, and both with and against the wind? And the Buddha said, there is. He said, in whatever village or town a man or woman has gone for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, he or she is virtuous and of good character, abstaining from the destruction of life, taking what is not given, sexual misconduct, false speech, and lying, liquor, wine, and intoxicants, the basis for heedlessness. And he or she dwells at home with a heart devoid of the stain of miserliness, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment, devoted to charity, delighting in giving and sharing. And in such a case, ascetics and Brahmins in all quarters speak praise in such a village or town, a man or woman has gone for refuge to the Buddha, etc. They delight in giving and sharing. And the deities and spirits too speak praise in the same way. This Ananda is the fragrance that spreads with the wind, against the wind, and, with, and both with and against the wind. And then he goes on to say, the fragrance of flowers does not spread against the wind, nor the fragrance of sandal, tagara, or jasmine, but the fragrance of good people spreads against the wind. The good person's fragrance pervades all quarters. I really had an example of this once in um, Bodh Gaya, actually, where the Buddha was enlightened. And there is some powerful energy there by the Bodhi tree. And there are so many pilgrims that come there. But there's also so much that's going on in Bodh Gaya. It has a very... Um, sort of mixed feeling. And uh, we went out to see a, a monastery and it just has such a distinct um, energy, so clean and open. And I was just marveling at the difference. And I mentioned it to the, one of the senior monks that was with us and he said, yeah, it's the fragrance. It's like the fragrance of virtue. The whole energy of this place is is um, the uh, the fragrance of virtue, and it just it really is it really can be palpable, and we can make our home that way. You know, our our whole life um, can have that feeling to it. And then there's this one uh, in the. Book of Fives, 145, called Hell. It's basically saying, if we destroy life, take what's not given, engage in sexual misconduct, speak falsely, indulge in 
intoxicants, the basis for heedlessness, then one is one possessing these five qualities is deposited in hell as if brought there. So it's like the Buddha is saying you automatically have this um, downpouring. And the opposite is also true. If we keep those precepts and live in that way, body, speech, and mind, then we're deposited in heaven as if brought there. So it's, it's like this is the nature of it. In fact, the conversation I was having with this other Dharma teacher, um, one of the questions she was asking was um, about the results of keeping the precepts. And I said, there is a place in the suttas. I wasn't able to lay my hands on it, but there is a place in the suttas where it says that if we keep the five precepts from the time we're born throughout our life, we automatically go to heaven. And of course, I don't know, you may not feel so um, comfortable with talk about hell and heaven, but we can think about these states in this very life. And we can also think about how um, it's natural to collect with people who have the same um, behaviors, attitudes. And so it's natural that if we have good moral virtue, we're going to be with other people who have good moral virtue, regardless of which lifetime. And then finally, there's this um, sutta where the Buddha sees uh, the householder on a Dipindika coming with 500 followers. And the Buddha says to Sariputta, you should know that any white-robed householder whose actions are restrained by five, five training rules and who gains at will without trouble or difficulty for pleasant abidings or dwellings that pertain to the higher mind might, if they so wish, declare themselves, I'm finished with hell, the animal realm, and the sphere of afflicted spirits. I'm finished with the plane of misery, bad destination, the lower world. I am a stream enterer no longer subject to birth in the lower world, fixed in destiny, heading for enlightenment. And then he talks about what those five training rules are, which we know. And the four pleasant and visible dwellings are the unwavering confidence in the Buddha. And these, the language here is the same one we chant, um, usually for our morning chanting. And it's sutta study on Wednesday nights that the Buddha is an arahant, perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true knowledge and conduct, holy, knower of the world, unsurpassed trainer of persons to be tamed, teacher of devas and humans, and the enlightened one, the blessed one. Having that unwavering confidence, that's the first pleasant, visible dwelling that pertains to the higher mind. And then the second one is the unwavering confidence in the Dhamma, as well expounded by the Buddha, directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, to be personally experienced by the wise. And the third one is the unwavering confidence in the enlightened Sangha, that they're practicing in a good way, straight way, true way, proper way, 
And, and then it talks about those four people, stream entry and those who are practicing for stream entry, once returning and those who are practicing for once returning, non-returning and those who are practicing for non-returning, arahants and those who are practicing to be arahants. It's, it's this being on the path, going in the right direction. And so the confidence that those that there are people who have done this since the Buddha's time and still, still are. The noble disciple possesses the virtuous, virtuous behavior loved by the noble ones. So you're really keeping those precepts in a beautiful way. They talks here about being unbroken, flawless, unblemished, freeing, praised by the wise, leading to samadhi. And of course, we've talked many times about the basis of virtue as uh, an essential for our deep samadhi. So that's uh, basically what I had to say. There's a, a verse here, but I think I'll save it. Are there any questions or comments at this point? Yes, Linda. I didn't understand the fourth item uh, that we just talked about, the confidence in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. And what was the fourth one? It's the careful keeping of the precepts. Like you really, you really don't, um, can't imagine <laughs> breaking them, you know? Okay. And those are often talked about as the four um, qualities of the stream enterer. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Cynthia. Hi. Um, so, as you can imagine, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on some of this kind of stuff, like especially for the you know, day or two before my surgery. Um, and some of it was, some of what was, you talked about here about the, uh, the, um, the comfort, you know, reflecting back on my years of practice and, and how, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm a stream enter or any of that kind of stuff, but it's just like, like having some comfort in knowing that, I have done as done what I could for many years to to uh, live in a way that it limits harm and that you know that that is with compassion and and that sort of thing. But the but the other thing really specifically was the last like the last twenty four hours before my surgery and knowing that um, I mean there was a pretty small chance that I would actually die but i mean they were going and they were drilling into my brain you don't know so there was that there but but the bigger thing was just this this thought of the possibility of losing my conscious ability which you know in terms of dharma practice would be you know <laughs> pretty comparable and so i found i would i would keep asking myself okay if 
if this is the last chance I have to to uh, focus my mental activity, what do I want to be doing? And so it really came down to to spending all the time that I could. Um, basically, I was doing a lot of meta practice, a lot of meta practice and Karuna practice and reciting meta chants and you know doing everything I could to just just use those possibly last moments to direct the mind in a in a wholesome way. So wherever it was going next, that um, that it would it would help it would it would help some. Somehow. I also had, um, I mean, this is kind of, you didn't address this so much specifically, but similar to talking on the precepts, um, some, some interesting reflections about, um, about right speech and, and using speech and going, you know, thinking about who I was going to talk to about what and stuff like that. And the whole, is it true? Is it useful? Is it timely? Is it kind? And there was a period of time where I knew what was going on. Like I knew I had a brain tumor, but there was nothing else known. Didn't know what it meant. Didn't know what the treatment was going to be. Didn't know. And I knew it was going to be that way for a few days. And, and I, I made the choice not to tell my family right away. And, you know, I like, I really wanted to, but I knew the wanting to was more about I didn't want to have to hold it myself. I mean, I did have a few Sangha friends that I would talk to that weren't so immediately impacted, but it's like, I just kept, you know, is it, is it, is it, well, it was true. Is it, but is it, is it useful? Is it kind? Is it going to be beneficial? And there didn't seem to be, it wasn't going to help anything for six or seven other people to be sitting with this anxiety without knowing anything about what was happening. So I, I chose to just, you know, wait for a few days until the yeah. more was known, um, kind of out of compassion, you know, for, for not, not wanting to cause any more trauma for anybody else. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't going to help me really. I mean, a little bit to maybe as an anxiety release, but that was a, it was a, a good, it was a good reflection for me to cut coming back to that. Like why, you know, why am I speaking? I have a friend that one of my Dharma teachers, he, what's the thing he uses? Um, wait, uses acronym wait, why am I talking? And it was kind of that kind of thing. So there's been some great Dharma te teachings in this, and I'm sure there will continue to be. So thank you. Wow. Glad to be here. Thank you, Cynthia. And it's all because of all the work you've done so far. Um, because, you know, this is how we train the mind and we train the mind for those times. I mean, we train the mind for all these reasons that we just read, you know, to, to have a comfortable, joyful abiding here and now to know we're not blamable to know, um, you know, that if people are criticizing us, you know, um, if it's something serious, it's not true. And, you know, all that kind of thing. And then, you know, training the mind because we are all subject to these conditions where um, our, our, our attention gets very narrow because of everything that's happening. And then what do we want in that little space with us, <laughs> you know, when the mind has to become so focused on what's going on 
either regarding someone that we are caring for and responsible for or love or our own self. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you. I knew there was a reason to talk about this today. I didn't quite know what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really um, huge. You know, we may think, oh, the precepts, it's kind of Buddhism 101. Yeah, yeah. There's, if I could say one more thing too, the other thing that, that I, I noticed it, it, you know, off and on was realizing that, um, you know, especially in this time of kind of waiting and, and just coming up of, you know, I just don't know what's going on. It's so uncertain. This could happen. And at some point I realized, you know, that's really how it always is, except we, most of the time we are able to delude ourselves into thinking that things are stable and we know what's going to happen until something like this happens and it's right in your face and it's like, like, oh yeah, it really is unstable. You really don't know what's going on. You really don't know, you know, if you're going to live or die in the next day, but we pretend that we, you know, can hang on to that. Exactly. Thank you for that. I, I got that message loud and clear years ago when the, um, the woman living next door to Baigiri, um, found out she had cancer and they, they couldn't do anything about it. And she knew she might not even be able to go home from the hospital. And she said, but I'm so grateful. She just, her whole response was gratitude. Um, and, you know, it's like, I, I thought I want, I want to have that reaction. <laughs> I want to have, I want to be able, I want to have the, um, build up the, understanding of the Dhamma and the clarity and the actions, the good actions, so that I can have that response. And it's just like what you said, Ajahn Pasano that night giving the talk said, we think we know what we're gonna be doing. We have all these plans, but we don't really. This can change anytime. And, and regardless of how old we are, how young we feel, whatever, you know, um, this, this world is so uncertain, but see how we lay in the, the things we can count on, you know, and we, we, we build them into our life. The, the refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, the, the practice, the habits of coming back to, um, those basics of practice, you know, just you had those chants ready in your mind from long practice, you know, and and I often think if there's something that's throwing me off in life, it's probably something so far, most of the time, it's something pretty small. I have to practice with this so that I'm ready for the bigger things. Yeah. And when we look at the precepts, you know, we may have, each of us may have challenges with a particular one. And it's good to look deeper into that one. If, if it's challenging to keep them. And, and we all have those challenges. I mean, this is how we 
we have to move from um, wherever we started in this lifetime with whatever desires and aversions and tendencies and patterns and habits that we came into this life with, moving towards more purity of mind. And the precepts really keeping moral virtue really is a prerequisite for purity of mind. And purity of mind is what gets developed and that helps us to keep the precepts. Kind of works together. But, you know, having challenges around those basic precepts, uh, the, that's, that's really where the signals uh, as to what we, we can focus on that's really going to improve our life, improve our, our whole feeling of our whole sort of confidence. The confidence in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, confidence in, in ourselves. It's powerful. I listened to a Dhamma talk, well, about half of, or half of a Dhamma talk um, the other day by Ajahn Bramali. I searched for it on YouTube with Ajahn Bramali and morality, I think. It's called Morality. And it's a talk he gave in uh, 2007, so it's quite a while ago. He looks lots younger, and I know we did too <laughs> but <laughs> in 2007. But um, he goes into real detail about the different, um, the different precepts and how to think of them and a part that I really enjoyed listening to was about not killing living beings, um, learning, training ourselves to be gentle, kind, and compassionate to all living beings, and and how important it is to learn how to see their qualities that are like our qualities. You know, see that um, they want to live. They want to be free from pain. And he got into examples. And um, one of the examples, he, one of the stories he told was about, you know, he's, he lives in Australia and he was sitting with his bowl of food on his walking path. And it's, it's covered and I think has a wall uh, next to it. And and this kangaroo came into his walking path and he's sitting on a bench on one end and this kangaroo is coming down the walking path, coming towards him. And finally the kangaroo is standing there and it starts to look into his bowl and it starts to reach and he covers the bowl with his hands. And then he said the kangaroo reached out its little arms and it tried to take his hands away. <laughs> <laughs> and he said I wasn't ready to let this kangaroo eat my lunch so he said he got up and he kind of like gently pushed the kangaroo out of the walking path <laughs> but he said it was just so interesting because you know he always kind of gives what's left in his bowl throws it outside for the kangaroos and he said
they want that. And then um, he said they get angry with each other, you know, fighting over it sometimes. And and then he and then you know he was just kind of amazed that this kangaroo would come and 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 do that, you know. And and of course, I'm sure he shared the, what was left of his food afterwards. But when we see other living beings uh, with these with these same qualities we have as human beings. Like I, I capture spiders and I take them outside, but there's a little period of time there where they're really afraid. And I know that I would react the same way if someone was trying to capture me and put me outside. <laughs> I try to do it in a gentle way, but there's this moment, you know, of, of their fear and then they calm down. And it's funny because not all of them act the same way. You know, some of them are quite calm about the whole thing. And that's the way we are too, right? Maybe depending on our character or depending on what day you happen to catch us, you know, uh, it might be different. But this idea that we can see in other living beings there, um, the qualities that, that we can relate to. Uh, he actually talked about kind of personifying and, and maybe even, you know, projecting a bit, but whatever it takes to calm our own um, wishes to get rid of some, something or, um, you know, that harshness in us that we might have or fear. Um, anyway, just one example of going deeper into a precept. Aiden? When it it you're talking about killing another being, I like I have a lot of like sadness when it comes to animal deaths, and I have like domesticated domesticated animals at home, and there are pests that I actually need to kill, like fleas, and and so I actually feel really bad that I have to take their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like that's like it is what it is. And and when it rains, like there are snails that come out and, mm -hmm. and I really tried my best to not step on them. And, you know, like the chances that the times when I do step on them, I like it makes me like cry and makes me so sad. It's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And, you know, like. It's like just sometimes like crying and feel really bad about it. And, and yeah, I, I like, I kind of say like, like an internal prayer or well being, like, you know, hope you have a good rebirth. And, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry. And I just have a lot of like deep feelings for these animals, you know, like when I hear the news about, Oh, like, you know, certain animals dying from abuse, you know, or just unfortunate circumstances. I, I just, yeah, it's just like, it tugs at my heart. And yeah, sometimes so, more, more than like humans, because, mm. you know, I have a really great connection with animals. Like I have a way with animals and like my friends tell me. And 
Yeah, that's one of my, like my, I guess, suffering. Yeah. So you're bringing up a really important point, I think, Aiden. Um, because the, the Buddha wanted us to practice, you know, developing the, that tenderness in the mind or that kindness. But he also wanted us to practice to let go of sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. And it's like, how do you find the balance? Or it's not really balanced so much as developing ourselves more in regard to wisdom. Now that doesn't change the feelings that arise, but we work with those feelings. There's nothing wrong with having those feelings, but there is a, um, a state of mind that has the compassion without the suffering. And when, when things, I know, I know what you're saying. I've had remorse uh, accidentally stepping on us on snails or, you know, I know exactly. I mean, I realize too, that you're particularly empath empathic and, and tender about this. And it's very sweet actually to see on the one hand, and there's a, there's a development, we are kind of a path to development we can take where, where the inner pain gets resolved, but it's not just around the animals, it's around life. Um, and this is true for, for all of us to recognize that our development on the path brings about equanimity, it in, it's infused with wisdom. We, we see, I, I, I like your approach of that blessing that you send with them. We can also send a certain, um, hmm, how do I say this? That, that blessing can carry some joy with it for that potential. Living as a snail is not a great life, no matter what. Even living as an animal is not a great life, no matter what. There's always fear. You're always subject to someone else's um, harshness or conditions that you can't remedy. So it's, it's helpful to really bring in those wisdom factors of mainly first and foremost, knowing the state of your mind, which is what Ajahn Liam said to me on this topic. You have to look at the purity of your mind. Ajahn Ganhas talks about the same thing. The absolute wish for the benefit of, of other beings and not for their harm. And Cynthia talked about it too, you know, like what we, what we do, what we say, even what we think, is this harming anyone? Is this going to harm anyone? And of course, when, when our mind is oriented as yours is to wanting to support and be kind and not harm, then that's the first layer to really have that 
um, clarity about what our intention is and that purity of mind. And then working with whatever feelings we have that pull us into, you know, um, what you might call the near enemy of compassion, which is a, a, a sadness around, you know, what's going on in the world, because this is this world. This world has all of this destruction in it. Um, this world has all of this, you know, cruelty and uncertainty and everything um, is including our own bodies, including ourselves, subject to coming to an end. And so to, to recognize that there's nothing wrong about that. That's just how things are. That when we really see the Dhamma, there's joy. When we really get how impermanent it all is, there's joy. Uh, those living beings will go on and hopefully go to the point where they can develop this kind of wisdom and clarity and, and um, love without attachment. That this is the, there's this reality of samsara and how it works. And then there's the seeing of the true Dhamma and the complete liberation from suffering. And that's where we should put our attention. So it's it's a it's a practice. It's like yes, uh, for some people, there needs to be a practice to become more empathetic, and caring, and really harmless. And for others, we have to look at how can I bring more wisdom into my into my experience and really understand with equanimity that these are the situations that we encounter in life and that it's okay. I hope that's making sense, Aiden. I wanna both honor where you are and encourage um, a real release from suffering. Like I wanted to add, <clears throat> that when, when animals suffer at the hands of humans, I just have all- It's a little hard to hear you now. Can you get closer to my- Oh yeah, can you hear me? Is it better? Yeah, this is better. Okay, so like I have a lot of, um, I guess certain feelings towards humans when they create a lot of suffering for these animals. And so it's at times it's hard for me to have compassion for, you know, the two leggeds. And so it's like all these different emotions that come up. And sometimes I don't know how to like really sit with those feelings. Like on the one hand, it's like I want to have more compassion during those instances. And 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 then on the other side i i i feel like these animals deserve so much justice and and rights cuz cuz here like in in the world animals are considered things and not beings and so they don't have a lot of rights so and, the the work then becomes the equanimity because it's not just the animals that suffer but children suffer and 
elder people suffer and people in wars suffer and people who are subjected to all kinds of disease suffer and people who are born with you know, various kinds of ailments and deformities suffering. You just look anywhere in the world and you see this suffering. And you can also see cruelty and you can see people doing the wrong things. And it's just like the Buddha said, their life's hell here and later. And, and what we can do is recognize that that is the way things work here in this world. And we have the ability to choose to not be part of that and to be part of what's good, wholesome, give that example. But the, the understanding of that nature of samsara motivates, it's more than that. It's like when we, the more we take in that reality, the happier we become because we recognize that that's just, that's just the nature of this realm. It has dark and light karma. And the more we bring ourselves into the light side of it, the more we can do to help. It's like, it's like tipping the balance, but it's tipping it towards realization of the truth and being that kind of example in the world that helps others realize it too. So it's, it's like, and yes, we have to like be with those feelings, but not from a place of perpetuating the sadness or the work is really to be present with those feelings as they, as we see those feelings and experience them as impermanent moving through us. And to whatever degree we learn, you know, we learn how, um, how other beings feel. We learn how we can um, learn what the Buddha said about feelings just being feelings, a strong indicator of where, where we can put our attention in order to awaken. We don't want to stay caught up in this samsara. We want to step out of it. And this is the whole message of the Buddha. Start with virtue and faith and develop our meditation and our, those, those divine states of abiding. And it and it, it's like this is this is a path that's definitely um, leading us to a place where we can see what's going on. We know what's going on. We can help, but we come to it from wisdom and compassion both. So it's like, well, sometimes that seems like a pretty high mountain to climb. But all along the way, we see the benefits for ourselves. And it's really it's really good that we know where we are with things so that we can take steps in the direction that's actually going to lead to awakening. And we change over time. 
you know, there comes a point where, you know, first there comes a point where instead of defending ourselves all the time, we have compassion for other living beings. Like you are saying, like you are giving a beautiful example of. And there comes a point in time when our anger and resentment towards the people who are doing wrong things falls away and we have compassion for them. And there comes a point in time when we see that the Dhamma is so complete and rich and beautiful and that we can be happy. But it's not like being happy with things just going the way we want or just seeing the beautiful side of samsara. It's a happiness in seeing all of it, to know that the Dhamma is, is real and works. Any comments? Anything you want to add to that? Anyone? Oh, I want to add or have a question about one more thing. Is equanimity upekka? Yes. Yeah, so that's that, like that's really challenging for me to I mean, that's my what I strive for, equanimity, and not to get knocked down by all the different big waves, so to yeah. speak. And yeah. it, it's like very challenging. I feel like I'm I'm a newbie at this equanimity yeah. phase. <laughs> yeah, it is it is challenging, and the way to do it is with the uh, the four noble truths. So. The waves come and you observe them, feel them moving through your body and you watch them go away again. And if at the same time, we're also developing the other parts of the path, then gradually our kind of resilience builds and we see that everything falls apart and we are still happy. We can still be happy. In fact, seeing that everything falls apart, knowing that that's its nature, we realize there's nothing to be unhappy about as it happens. We just keep encouraging the goodness. The goodness in ourselves and the goodness in others, the goodness in whatever living being there is there with us, in front of us, around us trying to get into our bowl and eat our food, whatever it is, you know, encouraging the goodness and maintaining the, the wisdom. So we have to bring more wisdom in to the practice uh, to, to be able to work with the, the wave after wave of feeling. Thank you, Aiden. Neil? Um, and then isn't it also true that once you're in that place of equanimity where you're not letting the emotions sort of drive you, you're, you may also be able to see an appropriate action that you can take in that situation? Yes. That's not lashing out, you know? I mean... Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, like in the case that Aiden's talking about, I'm not sure what it would be, but um, 
it's not just about saying, you know, this is the way the world is. Mm -hmm. yeah. You actually can actually come to, uh, yeah, I think I said what I needed to say. Yeah, and it's so true. And it, it's, there's a point where our wisdom is so strong that we, not only we do we not react lashing out, but you would, there's, there's no energy to lash out there anymore. And yes, then with that wisdom and clarity, we can take action that's so much more effective. And, and people do. I mean, there are oh, many ways that people help other living beings. Um, you know, you see these, you know, master teachers, they're constantly doing things to help, you know, build a new wing on the hospital and give, you know, it's just, there's all, you know, setting up a school in a village and, you know, there's just all kinds of ways that we can help. And Ajahn Ganaha really likes animals and, and created a preserve for some, um, it's a, it's a breed of kind of like, almost like a buffalo kind of a cow, kind of a cattle. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, um, with wisdom and compassion, there's a lot we can do and, and we know what to do. Yeah. And, and we're, and we're, there's that tenderness, but we're not pulled down by what we experience. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Anagarka Sarana. Hi. Um, yeah, I just want to add um, well, an experience that I've been trying to look how, how is it changing in my mind, um, particularly like the experience of living here in this city and hearing about uh, even friends or like companions, female companions at my school being killed um, and all the gender abuse. So I think these months it has been a very deep um, kind of practice of um, like, okay, I know this is totally wrong, but I also don't wanna carry this anger um, towards the perpetrators of this because they are also very lost and sex makes conduct like breaking that precept and even the first precept of killing is definitely not going to be good. So this day it has been like increasing and we've been having to take more care and I don't, I don't know, I think that also adds to the practice of like, okay, I could be the next one any moment. You know? And what could be the worst thing that could happen if I was to generate a mind of anger and hatred towards the person. So I'm like, okay, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. <laughs> and I hope the person doesn't do it because it's gonna be very bad for that person. But I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna get involved in that but in that karma. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know, I think uh, the other day I was listening to Bante Sumita and he was talking about like generating metta first um, when for people that is difficult to like first generate metta for yourself then for people you love that is easy 
And for neutral people, like, I don't know, a waiter or someone in the street. And then, like, with the diamond practice, it's like there's no more space for hatred and resentment in your heart. So I'm like, yeah, that's the only way I can help. I'm not gonna say only women, I'm gonna say any, any, like, women, men, non-binary, whatever, you know, it's like, I think this is the only way, and this is the way I want to take care of my mind, and yeah, so yeah. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Beautiful. Thank you. How would you like to um, take the five, the three refuges and the five precepts at this point? I give you the opportunity and um, find find it to share with you. I find this practice incredibly beautiful every time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Mira, would you mind chanting the request? Would you be up for that? Chant on key. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, or you can just pass. That's okay too. Would you like to? Uh, uh, sure. Okay, we're just gonna, we'll be the only ones with our mic on and we'll just do it if you're okay with that. I'll give it a shot. She's gonna give it a shot. This is great. Okay, let me share the screen. I think they're going to be able to hear you. Yeah. <clears throat> so people should all bow together. You can bow now. And people with their mics off should also chant along. Mayam Tisa Reina Saha. Oops, I'm on the wrong ones. I'm on the eight precepts. Okay, sorry. I'm going to start again. Apologies. Mayam Tisa Reina Saha Pancha. Silani Yachama Dutiampi Mayam Aye Tisarena Saha Pancha Silani Yachama Tatiampi Mayam Aye Tisarena Saha Pancha Silani Yachama 
Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Buddham Sarananga Chami Buddham Sarananga Chami Dhamang Sarananga Chami Dhamang Sarananga Chami Sankham Sarananga Chami Sankham Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami. Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami. Dutiampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami. Dutiampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami. Dutiampi Sankhang Sarananga Chami. Dutiampi Sangam Sarnam Gachami Tatiampi Budang Sarnam Gachami Tatiampi Budang Sarnam Gachami Tatiampi Damang Sarnam Gachami Tatiampi Damang Sarnam Gachami Tatiampi Sankhang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sankham Sarananga Chami Tisarangamanang Nititang Panatipata Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Panatipata Veramani Sikapadan Samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. Adina Dana Veramani Sikapadan Samadhyami. Adina Dana Veramani Sikapadan Samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Kame sumi chachara veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Kame sumi chachara veramani sikapadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from sexual misconduct. Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. 
Suramirayama japamadatana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Suramirayama japamadatana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from consuming intoxicating drink and drugs which lead to carelessness. Inwani pancha si kapadani, silena suga tinyanti, silena boka sampada, silena ni butinyanti tasma silangi sodaye. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Beautiful. Always makes me so happy. <laughs> Just hearing those precepts chanted, I, I am, um, I'm so happy for everyone who lives by them. For all of us, it's truly a beautiful thing, and. Um, if anyone wants to explore any of them more or any challenges you have or anything with us um, privately, you're welcome to call us um, and um, and uh, if if you're interested in learning more about what the Buddha said about them, I, I strongly recommend um, searching the suttas uh, for it. It's really the, the basis of a good life. Would you like to meditate for the rest of the time? Okay. Please become comfortable <laughs> where you are, wherever you are. I think I will trust that you know what to do with meditation and just allow yourself to become tranquil in the body and tranquil in the mind. And let the goodness of your life fill your being.
Thank you, everyone, for your practice. It's really nice to see you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.